I believe the prophetic portion of the Bible is one of the great evidences that it's the Word of God. I don't need one, but it is one. And um, about a quarter of your Bible is prophecy. Did you know that? And a lot of it has been fulfilled, but some of it hasn't. And some of what we're in tonight has not yet been fulfilled. So if you want to understand the times, you get into the Word. Now, last time we closed halfway through chapter 7 with Daniel having a vision of the return of Christ. Let's just read it again so we can catch up, kind of refresh our minds. In verse 13, he says, I was watching in the night visions. This is Daniel 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He, Jesus, came to the Ancient of Days. That would be God. And they brought him... Jesus, near before him, God. Aren't you glad I made sense of that for you? A lot of personal pronouns in there. Now, Daniel next witnesses Christ Jesus receiving total dominion over all things. This is where history is racing towards, this event right here. Verse 14, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Read this next part with me. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. What kind of a dominion? Everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Isn't that great? That's where it's all heading. History isn't going to end with the devil in charge. It's going to end with Jesus ruling over everything. Now, this vision that Daniel had of Jesus returning came on the heels of his seeing four great beasts. And you remember them. One was looked like a lion, one like a bear, one like a leopard, and the fourth beast was really more like a monster. So unlike the others, uh, this fourth beast is not symbolized by any other animal. He, he's not like the others. Very, very different. Now we saw that the lion represented Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And then the bearer represented a kingdom that had not yet come. Now, uh, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar is what Daniel was living in. But now, once he leaves talking about the lion, that being Babylon, he's prophesying future kingdoms that haven't arrived yet. So he says the bearer represented the Medes and the Persians that conquered Babylon. We read about that. And then the leopard came and conquered the Medes and the Persians. Who was the leopard? But Alexander the Great and the Greeks. Isn't this amazing? God knows the end from the beginning. And the fourth beast represented Rome. So you've got Daniel having a dream, and Nebuchadnezzar had the same dream, just different characters were in play. You remember Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of the the, the colossal man, head of gold and so on and so forth. Um, And Daniel dreamed of these four beasts. But what's happening here, folks, and this is what I want us to get out of this study in in Daniel, is that God knows the kingdoms that are going to arise and conquer and rule before they even start. Our God sees the future. You know why? Because he's already in the future. Matter of fact, God is in your future waiting for you to arrive. And the Bible says he's prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies so that when you arrive, there's already a table prepared. And so 
Uh, it's just an amazing thing to me that he sees them coming. Uh, he's in Babylon. Then he says, well, we're going to be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And then the Medes and the Persians are going to be taken over by the Greeks. And then the Greeks are going to be taken over by Rome. And none of them had come yet. Only the Bible does that. You know the Quran doesn't have one prophecy? But our Bible is the word of the living God. And you know the end from the beginning. That's why I love to study it. Now, verse 15, jumping, beginning where we left off last week, verse 15 begins with Daniel, who's greatly troubled with what he has seen. This has really bothered him. But particularly the fourth beast that was the monster, unlike any of the others, so bad, so terrible was this thing that he saw, he could not attach an animal to it. There was nothing comparable. And verse 15 says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by, that would be an angel, and asked him the truth of all this. I want to know about this fourth beast. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So here comes the interpretation of, of the beast that he's seen. Verse 17, these great beasts, says the angel, which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. Now, and then he describes these empires. Daniel's living in one of them, but the other three are yet to materialize. Not only does God show him their coming, but he describes something about the personality and the character of these kingdoms. I wonder if God was describing the personality and character of America, what he would compare us to. Think of an animal. I mean, they're all compared to animals except for Rome. I wonder, I wonder what animal. God would look at us right now and say, well, you know what? If I was going to symbolize you by, by an animal that I've created, it would be you fill in the blank. Somebody said a donkey. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. I like the eagle better. Amen. I don't feel very eagle-like. I don't think America is very eagle-like right now. Turkey. Somebody escort him out. (laughs) Turkey. (laughs) And so Daniel continues with a word about the saints in the last days. Now we're coming down to you and to me. Verse 18. He says, these kingdoms are going to come and go, but the saints of the Most High, verse 18, shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Everybody say, that's a long time. He's saying, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Even the fourth beast, Rome, is going to come and it's going to go. But the saints of the Most High, turn to your neighbor and tell them, that's you. That's talking about you, saint. The saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom that never goes away, and we will possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever, ages upon ages, time without end. This happens when Jesus Christ returns to establish his millennial reign on earth. And verse 18 tells us that through it all, we win because Christ wins. Like I said Sunday, I read the back of the book. I see who wins. And it's the church. 
Now, next, Daniel turns his attention again to the fourth beast. This fourth beast is really troubling him. He said he needs a special revelation on the fourth beast. So verse 19, he says, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, teeth of iron, nails of bronze. And he sees this this beast devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. I'm sorry, I, I just thought of Godzilla. Because you remember how they used to show Godzilla on those movies, stomping, screeching out of that horrible roar, wiping out everything in its path. Really, this thing is Godzilla-like, what he sees. But remember, it's a nation, and it's Rome. Now, let's go on. Verse 20, and the ten horns that were on its head. I wondered about those ten horns. What are those ten horns he's saying? And the other horn, which came up before which three of the other horns fell. Namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Now, let me make sense of this for you. Remember, this is is metaphorical, illustrative, symbolic language. And it doesn't need to scare us. It doesn't need to make us go, oh, I can't understand this. Listen, God didn't give us a word so that we can't understand. Amen? Once you understand what the symbols are, you're good. And so don't let this throw you, because these ten horns represent ten nations that evolve out of ancient Rome. We went through all of this when we studied the book of Revelation, that John described Rome. He said, it is that which is and was not and then comes back again. And and over and over again, your Bible tells us that Rome would come, would go away, and then would come back somehow. Now, we know that Western Rome went away around the early 5th century, in the early 400s. Western Rome totally collapsed. And you know what collapsed it? The same things that are collapsing America right now. The invincible beast stomping and snorting and destroying everything in its path, seemingly unbeatable, crashed, shattered, and faded into history in around 420, 430 A.D. Eastern Rome continued much longer, past the 1,000-year A.D. mark. But even eventually, Eastern Rome also collapsed because it broke, it, it broke into two, split into two. Western Rome went much earlier, Eastern Rome much later, but they both went away. Now, Daniel and John say it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And, and in both the Revelation and in Daniel, we are shown ten horns, ten nations that have evolved out of ancient Rome. Now, I know this is a little heavy, but follow with me now. It's just, it's just like the, the civilization and the customs and the, the geographical location. Ten nations will arise out of what used to be ancient Rome. That's the ten horns and ten kings, the rulers of those ten nations. And they play heavily in the last days. Because of Rome's location, 
These will clearly be, in, in my opinion, I, I don't see any, any other answer, but these 10 nations will be in the region we call the European Union. And they play a huge part in the last days. Now, Daniel says, Lord, give me an answer to this fourth beast and the 10 horns. He's particularly intrigued also with the little horn that appears amongst the 10. Remember that? He says, I see 10 horns, and all of a sudden I see this little horn coming up. And as this little horn comes up, he displaces three of the ten kings. The little horn is Antichrist. And we are told in the Bible that when the Antichrist comes to power, it is very fast, it is leopard-like, it is swift, and I believe brutal. Uh, It's a power play when he comes into power, and when he comes into power, he overthrows three of the ten kings. It's a power play. He comes to power stomping on three kings. Now, verse 21, I was watching, and the same horn, the little horn, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Now, let me tell you what this means. For a season, the little horn, who is the Antichrist, there's no question about it, because remember, Daniel said he had eyes and a mouth. He said, this little horn that I saw had eyes and a mouth. So that's letting us know this is not a thing or an it or a political entity. It is a man. He uses the pronoun him, he, him. So does Paul. So does John. It's it's a man who epitomizes evil. He, He is satanically demonically possessed like no one in the history of the world. Now, he's not, don't get me wrong, he's not virgin born. Well, Rosemary's baby, no. I'm sorry, I just got to make things clear up here. Because people say, oh, the devil is going to have relations with a woman. No, no, no. Just uh, the Antichrist is born like everybody else, but... Somewhere along the way, he he is just, he is seized by the devil. He is filled with the devil. And he is a totally satanically inspired individual that drips charisma. When you meet him, you will probably like him unless you have real discernment. And sometimes I wonder where in the world America's discernment has gone. What is wrong with us? And But unless you have discernment, he'll be a winning personality, a likable personality, a charismatic personality, a spellbinder behind the podium. And he will convince the world to follow him. He will convince the world to come under his control. And he'll have a man known as the false prophet, who is also called a beast in the Revelation, and he will be a religious figure. The Antichrist will be a political figure. He will be known to be in the political sphere, but the the false prophet who comes alongside him to help him will be a religious figure, and he will perform, according to the Bible, signs and wonders that are satanically inspired, and he will point to the Antichrist. He's sort of like the Antichrist's own personal John the Baptist. You know, the devil can't come up with anything original. He's got to copy what God does. 
And so this false prophet will be pointing to Antichrist, saying, here's your man, here's your answer, and he'll do signs and wonders in front of a watching world, and he will say to the watching world, follow him, follow us, this team. This is the little horn with eyes and a mouth. He'll be known for his speech. Hitler was a type. I'm going to stop there. I can think of other types. Now, during this time, this is what Daniel's telling us, a great persecution will be unleashed against tribulation saints, where they will not be able to buy or sell, having refused the mark of the beast, and will essentially be hounded day and night by the evil system put in place by the man of sin, which is what Paul calls him, the man of sin. Now, here's the deal. Antichrist will come into power. Notice, he comes up from amongst, from the midst of these ten. So he's, he's he, to me... When I read this, I think, okay, then he's part of one of those ten nations because it says he comes up from the midst. He rises in the midst of his contemporaries, and he takes charge, and he has his little false prophet with him. The false prophet is the one who tells the world that they must receive that mark, the mark of the beast. 666, whatever it will be, a, a, a laser tattoo that you can't see unless it's under a light, uh, a chip, I don't know. But I do know that you will receive that mark, and if you don't receive that mark, you will be persecuted. And this is what Daniel is also showing us. John already told us this in the New Testament, but now we've got the Old Testament saying that same horn, that little horn, makes war against the saints and prevails against them for a season. He'll persecute God's people for a season, tribulation, saints. He'll persecute them, and it will look like he's prevailing against them. It will look like he's winning the day. But he has a very brief season, as far as time goes, to do what he's going to do. So there will be a great persecution. He's talking about the great tribulation here. The saints of that time are going to resist Antichrist's rule. Any Christian with any discernment at all will say, no way, Jose, to that mark or to you, Mr. Antichrist and false prophet. But the persecution will only last seven years, and the worst of it will be the last three and a half years, which Daniel is going to show us in just a minute. And then Jesus returns in the eastern sky. Daniel sees this. <laughs> this excites me because, uh, you know, this was before the New Testament. And Jesus, what we're about to read, G Jesus said the same thing. And John said the same thing. And Paul said the same thing. Our Bible is a unified book, though it had over 40 different authors spread throughout the world. Verse 22 until. Now, what's the until? It's connecting. They will be persecuted. These tribulation saints will be persecuted by the little horn. Everybody say, until. Now, read the next words with me. The ancient of days came. Jesus is going to put a stop to it all. 
They're going to be persecuted by the little horn with eyes and a mouth until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of who? The saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to do what? Possess the kingdom. Hallelujah. Now let's look at it. Jesus talked about this moment many times in Scripture um, that Daniel just showed just showed us. Now let's look at verse 31 of Matthew 25, and here's Jesus talking. Look at the similarity. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Notice this, China, Russia, Singapore, all of Europe, all nations are going to be gathered before your Jesus, my Jesus. All the nations will be gathered before him, and look what he's going to do. He will separate them one from another, so Jesus profiles. Can I say it? Well, say not the bad way, Pastor Jeff. Oh, I know, but, but, but I'm saying he judges and makes a difference between right and wrong and good and bad. Just That's free. That's not in my notes. I just want you to know he never told us not to judge. He just said, just don't judge wrong. Don't judge wrongly. Don't judge hypocritically. But if you don't judge, you're a dead man, a dead woman. But here's Jesus judging. And what does he do? As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Doesn't pay to be a leftist. I'm sorry. That's free too. I'm just noting that those that are lost, he put on the left. I'm just having fun with you tonight because this is so deep and so heavy. So bear with me. Now notice what he's doing here. In this this something, when this awesome judgment of separating sheep from goats takes place, then the righteous, that is Jesus' bride, will step in to rule the world with Christ. Let me tell you the judgments that's coming. When Jesus returns, he's going to bring the entire world before him. The entire world. And he will know who's saved and who's lost. And he will divide the saved, the sheep, from the lost, the goats. He will do it at his return. At that moment, it's eternally too late to get right. You cannot at that time say, you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm thinking twice about what I heard 20 years ago, and I think it's time for me to repent. No, that's too late. There will be a time where it's eternally too late. And if you're alive at the return of Christ, he will separate. He will separate the sheep from the goats. And he will say to the righteous, enter into the joy of the Lord. And he will say to the goats, depart from me, I never knew you. And you know what a lot of those goats are going to be saying? But Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and do miracles in your name and do this and that in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what he says to the goats. So, Jeff, how can you do miracles in his name and not know him? It happens all the time. You can say Jesus is the Lord and not be saved or not be and be lost. You can say Jesus is Lord and still be lost. It's have you been born again? Have you truly repented? Have you truly come to him? Have you asked for forgiveness? And has the spirit entered your heart? Because any man that doesn't have the spirit 
Paul wrote in Romans, is not his. So the spirit is, is sort of the mark of ownership. And the sheep with the mark of ownership, the spirit living in them will be put over here. And then the goats over here. There will be an awesome judgment. Here's what will happen. Matthew 25, 23 says, his master said to him, this is for the sheep. Well done, good and faithful slave. That's servant. And it comes from the Greek word doulos. Doulos really does mean slave. I'm the slave of Christ. And you know what? Listen, when you, when you say the word slave, and I know it has a terrible connotation, but when you're Jesus' slave, that's how you get free. Because you don't, you're not chained up if you're his slave. If you're the devil's slave, you're all chained up. But if you're Jesus' slave, uh, slave, as soon as you say, Lord, 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 and mean it, the chains come off. Now, he says, what does he say? You were faithful. I want you to read this with me. You were faithful with a few things. Look what's going to happen. Read it. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Question, how's he going to put us in charge of things when right here in the verse we're entering into glory? What are we in charge of? You've been faithful over little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. What it means is there really is going to be uh, uh, um, authority divvied out, responsibilities divvied out, not where you can fail and go to hell, not where you can fail. There's no more flesh, no more devil. But there will be an honor that he that was faithful over little, you stayed with it in that job, you didn't give up on his name, you kept on telling people about him, you weren't ashamed of him, you stayed in church, you grew spiritually, you were faithful over little, you served in whatever capacity he put you, faithful over little things, and all of that is prepping you for the world to come. And so that's what Daniel's telling us. Now back to Daniel. Having seen the little horn overthrowing three of the ten kingdoms in his rise to power and his vicious persecution of the saints, Daniel is told more about the fourth beast or kingdom. So let's learn about it. Verse 23, thus he, that's the angel speaking to Daniel, said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who will arise from this kingdom. Now here is God informing Daniel that the ten horns representing ten kings will come out of ancient Rome. They will evolve out of ancient Rome. So this is a prediction of ten nations that will evolve out of the ashes of the Rome of Jesus' time. Again, this is modern-day Europe and the European Union. Now, next, the angel expounds more about the Antichrist. Look at what he says about this character that's going to come. And another shall rise after them, that is, after the ten kings. He shall be different from the first ones, the ten kings. And he will subdue three kings. So in his rapid overnight rise to power, Antichrist apparently overthrows three leaders of three nations, as I've said. Next, Daniel is given a personality profile of the Antichrist. Look at this guy, verse 25. He will speak 
pompous words. Against who? Wow, that's scary stuff. Man, don't ever look up and speak anything blasphemous to God. I mean, he'll forgive you, but wow. This is the stock and trade of Antichrist. He's arrogant and he's blasphemous. He has no fear of God and no honor of anything sacred. It goes on to say he will persecute the saints of the Most High, so he hates God's people. He hates God's people because he hates God. And then he says he shall intend to change times and law. Let me tell you what this means. He's gonna, he, he will not honor customs or law. He will be the lawless one spoken of by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. He'll think he's the law. Now, I got to tell you again, I hate to digress, but has the lawlessness of America hit you yet? Has the lawlessness of the American government hit you recently? All that we're learning about what goes on behind the scenes, no respect for the law whatsoever? That's the spirit of the devil. Because the spirit of the devil, listen, the devil is lawless, and his antichrist is literally called the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, the lawless one. Then the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years. One time, times, plural, and half a time. That's three and a half years. For three and a half years, he will be particularly successful in his persecution of God's people, almost appearing as if he's winning the day. Now look at verse 26. But the court shall be seated. You know what that means? God is about to change everything. God's about to judge. The court is going to be seated. This refers to God stepping forward to judge and to put an end to Antichrist. It shows us here that the world is ultimately ruled by the providence of God who puts down one and raises up another. Amen. Now look at verse 26, the second half of 26. And they shall take away his dominion, that is, Antichrist, to consume and destroy it for how long? Forever. Antichrist's kingdom is taken away from him at this time once and for all. Now, I'll I'll give you a little free preview. John the Revelator said that the great battle of Armageddon is going to be commencing, that the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Megiddo will be taking place when Jesus returns. And Jesus, it says, will slay them with the breath of his mouth, the fire that comes out of his mouth. And at that time, he will stop this terrible war that that in Matthew it says, if he did not stop it, no flesh would survive. And he will set up his kingdom. Verse 27, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. I'm reading the Bible here. Shall be given to the people the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions. How many dominions? All dominions will serve and obey him. All authority, any dominion, any kingdom, any authority whatsoever will bow and be subservient to Jesus Christ. This predicts the installation of the coming kingdom of the Lord 
of lords and the king of kings. And notice what it says, again, all dominions, all realms of authority will be subservient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote of this very thing. He said in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, this is what's coming, folks. I'm reading the future now. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, he specifies of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, talking about Satan and the demons. They will all bow the knee, and you know what they're going to have to say? They will bow the knee and every tongue. Oh, I I hope I get to see the devil. Seriously, I hope I get to see Lucifer. I hope I'm aware of when he's got to say, he is Lord. He is Lord. The day is coming, church, when the Lord we just worshiped tonight, whose presence filled this place, will return to earth, destroy Antichrist and his wicked world system, and will establish his rule over all things. And every knee will bow to his rule. Satan will say he is Lord. Every professing atheist will say he is Lord. Every devil in hell will confess he is Lord. Every follower of a false religion will say on that day he is Lord, and Jesus will rule the world with a rod of righteousness. Can we give him a hand of praise? Amen. Now, uh, Isaiah describes this beautifully, and I'm going to read just one brief account, and and, and I want to begin with the coming judgment. Isaiah says, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. He's talking about Jesus and the Messiah. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. That's talking about his return and when he stops that great war. And then Isaiah describes the world under Jesus' rule, and I love this description. It's beautiful. Verse 5, righteousness will be the belt of his loins, faithfulness the belt of his waist. Look what's going to happen. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. You know what this is telling us? Carnivorous activity is going to end. No more ripping each other to shreds. You know, everything eats something else. You're here tonight because you ate something that used to be alive. Amen? And if you went out there and got lost in the woods, something alive would eat you. I mean, really, you know, it's true. The cat eats the bird. The bird eats the worm. Everything eats something else. It's whoever wins. But that's going to end. That's going to end. No more leopard chasing down an antelope and ripping it to shreds. No more. Because the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. The leopard, he goes on, will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. A child will have the wisdom of an adult. The cow and the bear will do what? 
graze. They don't graze. They kill things and eat them. But they will in the millennium. They will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Can you imagine bringing a bale of hay to a lion? Now look what it says in verse 8. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den and not be bitten. Because the, the separation that happened in the fall, you know, the reason a bird flies away from you, the reason a wild animal will avoid you, the reason everything is afraid of each other, and, and, and we, we can't just call uh, the bird to, to land on our arm that's out there in the wild because he won't do it. He doesn't trust us. All of that antipathy, all of that separation, all of that will be gone because that's all because of the fall. Verse 9, they won't hurt or destroy in my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Now, Daniel closes out his account of the vision in verse 28. I want you to stand with me, would you? And let's read verse 28 together. Are you ready? This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, next week, we're starting chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at a ram, a goat, and an abomination. And it's pure prophecy. It is so rich. It's going to blow you away next week. I'm telling you, it is. It took me hours to nail it down. It's good stuff. But how many of you are glad that our God knows what's coming before it arrives? Amen? Father, we just thank you for the profound word of...